1: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and you're listening to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, where I share tips and scientifically tested strategies to help you clean up your mind and life, and where I interview experts and specialists on ways we can heal and improve our mental and physical health. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Ethan Cross, an award-winning psychologist, professor at the University of Michigan, and leading expert on controlling the conscious mind, Dr. Ethan and I discuss the hidden power of our inner voice and how to harness it to live a healthier, more satisfying, and more productive life. We also discuss how the silent conversations we have with ourselves impact our health, performance, decisions, and relationships. This conversation really changed the conversations I have with myself. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can now pre-order my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, wherever you buy books. When you pre-order, you will get access to some amazing bonus content and products like exclusive chapters with applications for children, a free downloadable workbook, discounts on mood-boosting products from our favorite supplement company, Bio-Optimizers, and more. But these bonuses are only available if you pre-order now and register your pre-order at cleaningupyourmentalmess.com. This book details how to use my scientifically tested 5-step process, The NeuroCycle, to reduce anxiety, depression and toxic thinking by up to 81%. It's simple, practical and my best book yet. So, hurry over to cleaningupyourmentalmess.com to pre-order your copy today. Now, on to today's episode. Dr. Ethan Cross, I am so thrilled that you agreed to come on my podcast, and I'm so excited to talk to you about your work and your your newest book that's about to be released called Chatter. Really, really appeal to what I'm doing, my own work that I do as a neuroscientist, talking about mind. For 38 years, I've been researching the mind-brain connection and arguing with a lot of scientists that keep saying the mind is the hard question of science. And I've always said, no, it's not. The mind is the most obvious question in science because your mind is everything that you do all the time. Your mind mind is always always going. You never don't use your mind. And here I get your book and you're talking all about self-talk and mind. And just the way you unpack the mind and self-talk in this book is just brilliant. So thank you so much for coming to help me and my audience understand more about self-talk.
0: Well, thanks for thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this conversation and I love talking about the mind. I've dedicated my career to studying it. so So it's really a delight.
1: And that's wonderful. You do a lot of research and clinical trials and you, at the University of Mich- Michigan, is that correct? That's right. And and you know, you're doing fantastic work. And it's just so important that, that I think that we put into the hands of everyone an understanding of mind. Because mm-hmm. if our mind's a mess, everything else is a mess. And self-talk is really one of those things. So without any further ado, you've written this brilliant book called Chatter. Before you tell us why you wrote it, tell us a little bit more about yourself that's not in your bio, and then tell us why you wrote Chatter.
0: Okay, so not in my bio. I, I grew up in in Brooklyn New York and I like to tell people I lived there before it was cool and by that I don't mean that I made it cool by any means <laughs> Brooklyn Brooklyn changed quite a bit over the past 15 years. But I grew up in Brooklyn and spent all my life on the East Coast and then moved to Michigan about 15 years ago and have been here ever since. Oh,
1: wonderful. That's amazing. And so how did I know that you've been researching the whole mind and internal talk and just helping people with mind for many years. So tell us more about Chatter and why you wrote Chatter and what the book's essentially about.
0: You know, one of the reasons I wrote the book was based on an experience I had in the classroom with an undergraduate. For several years, I had been teaching a class here called The Science of Self-Control. And you could think about it as a class that reviewed science's greatest hits when it comes to understanding how we can control our emotions and ourselves. And it was always a fun class to teach. And the way it worked is every session we'd meet, I'd I'd come with questions for the students. We'd chat, we'd talk, they'd leave, we'd come back and do it again the next week. But on the final day, I, I basically reverse things and so the instructions for the students was okay it's your last class come with any unanswered questions you have for me and and normally when you teach a class you know a few times you come to expect what questions you're gonna ask you're gonna get yeah expect you know it's pretty routine but this time the moment the class started this one girl named ariel raised her hand and she said why are we learning about this now and i was totally (laughs) taken aback i said what do you mean?" As well, you know, we're, we're 21, we're leaving, we're leaving college, going on with our life. We've learned about all these really helpful tools. Why didn't anyone teach us about these things earlier when they could have helped us in elementary school or middle school or high school, you know, we're done. And so my response there, my initial response was, you know, fear not life is not over. Once you leave, there'll still be opportunities <laughs> to control yourself <laughs> after college, but then I then I didn't know what to say, and so I, I, you know, classic professor technique. I I deflected. So well, what does everyone else think about this question? <laughs> and so they started talking, but I really wasn't listening. I was just thinking myself, why aren't we doing more to translate and communicate what we know about the science behind how people can manage their feelings, so that people can benefit from it? And that was a that was one of the experiences that really led me to write the book. In addition to do more applied research designed to teach kids really about many of the tools I talk about in the book.
1: Oh, I love that story. I love it so much because the mind is something that's malleable, and we can ma- we can learn to develop the skill of mind management. And emotion control is so true. I love her question, and I'm glad it prompted you because yes, we should be teaching our kids from as young as two and three how to manage their mind, which is something in my practice and work I've been doing for years. But I'm so glad that people like yourself are actually you know, doing research on this and writing books and putting this into the layperson's hands. You know, we'd, I think we'd have a lot better world if we had, all knew more about mind. know so much about so much else but we've yeah. left we've left mind up to the philosophers and that's why I do what I do and I know that's why do, you do what you do so this is just such an essential conversation you also had an interesting thing in your preface I, I was really enjoying your preface and your introduction where you sp- said to spoke about how your dad would tell you to you know look inside yourself and yeah. how that's a, a typical kind of philosophical wise thing to do and it's correct but you say you say how we can actually look inside ourselves and we can actually sabotage ourselves if we don't do it properly Properly. and that I found very interesting because it's it's so accurate can you talk a little bit more about you know what your dad said and and how it can be good but also can be bad
0: yeah so when, when starting from around the time I was three years old my dad would would prompt me to, to turn my attention inward to go inside he would tell me whenever something bad happened or I was upset about something and the idea was that introspecting reflecting on my feelings would be a route to finding solutions to those problems and and you know my dad was my hero growing up and I listened to what he said and I followed his advice really throughout my childhood and adolescence when things bad things happened whether they you know were my mom punishing me for eating an extra cookie or 10 after <laughs> dinner to not cleaning my room to you know what do i do when the girl i wanted to ask out said no in high school i would introspect come up with a solution and move on i i wouldn't really get stuck and so it was a really useful skill. And then, then I got to college and during my second semester, I took a psychology class just on a whim. You know, let me see what this is about. And there on the, the syllabus on the schedule was a class on introspection. And I was this is going to be great. I've been doing this forever. And, and when I took that class, I discovered that in direct contrast what my dad had told me. And to my own personal experience, there were experiment after experiment after experiment, which showed that oftentimes when people do exactly what I did, when they turn their attention inward to work through their problems, yeah. they end up stumbling instead. They ruminate, they worry, they mm. catastrophize, they they experience what I call chatter, which is getting stuck in a negative cycle of thought, thinking, and feeling which can have really disastrous implications mm. for our health, our relationships, our thinking. And so putting those two experiences side by side, my own experiences and and and, and indeed work that philosophers have talked about the value of yeah. introspection on the one hand, but then the problems people experience doing mm. it, this to me became a giant puzzle. And I think it is one of the the big puzzles of the human mind. Why do we have this capacity, this ability? to use our mind, to solve problems, to innovate, to create. And yet, when we try to enlist our mind, when we're feeling upset, angry, anxious, depressed, it often just makes it worse. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why that happens. And and most importantly, when it happens, when people find themselves stumbling and experience chatter, what are the tools that they can use to break out of that negative cycle of thinking and feeling? so that they can manage their problems more effectively. And that's really what the book is about.
1: So answer those questions. I love it. That's it's Why? Why does this happen and what can you do to manage it? And I know that you can't give it all and, and people will definitely get your book. Can you hold up your book? Do you mind? I don't yeah, have one. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So th- this is the book, guys, that I really recommend you get because it'll help you understand what uh, Dr. Ethan Cross is about to teach us about self-talk or what's good, what's bad, and how to manage it.
0: Yes. Yeah, so this is what I wrote the book and about. and. You know, do you to, should I launch into some of the ideas? Would yes, that be helpful? Please,
1: please do. So explain, because you said a very interesting statement that we do introspect. And sometimes it goes haywire. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing. And sometimes yeah. it really works. And so how can you recognize when it's going wrong? And what can you do about it? How can, you, how can we make introspection or internal chatter work for us and not against us?
0: Right. So I think oftentimes people know when introspection isn't working. Right. It it often isn't mm-hmm. subtle. You know, you have the experience of trying to do a task. Maybe you're doing a job at work and you can't focus on the task because you're focusing on the problem. Or you mm. find yourself talking about the problem endlessly with your friends and loved ones in ways that maybe you're pushing them away because mm. they don't want to keep hearing about it. You just keep talking about it. And there are physical manifestations of of, of this as well, as as I know you know and, and talk about. So let's break down why does chatter happen? Well, when we experience an intense problem, one of the things that we reflexively do is we zoom in really narrowly, we fixate on that problem. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense, right? Something mm. is something's bothering us, let's focus on it. Mm. But when we zoom in and then get stuck, right, that mm. can be an issue if we zoom in too tightly because what happens there? is we magnify the problem so much, we can't get a broader perspective. We're not thinking about different ways of managing this experience. Mm. Well, let me think about other ways I've dealt with similar experiences in the past and, and, I've, and I've gotten through it. Or let me imagine an alternative way that this might play out, right? The, the mind can come up with all different ways mm. of problem solving. But if we're too narrowly focused on the problem at hand, we're too immersed It can be difficult to access those solutions. And so the good news is that tools exist within us. There are things that you can do, a person, ways of changing the way they think about the problem that can help them manage it. There are also ways of talking to other people that can be particularly useful. Mm. And then even ways of navigating the physical world around us that can help us manage our chatter. And so, so let me give you an example of, of, each, of, so three, of one of each type, three that'll buckets.
1: That'll be great. Because
0: yeah, each bucket, as I talk about in chatter, each each one of those categories has lots of different tools. So I'll give you one of each. So one of the things we know is that we are much better at advising other people on their problems than we are taking our own advice. Yeah. And so I often give talks and I ask people, has a friend ever come to you with a problem that they were they were experiencing chatter about? they. It was driving them nuts, and they present the problem to you, and it's easy for you to give them, to coach them through the situation. And yeah. invariably, people's hands go up. There's actually a name mm. for this. It's called Solomon's Paradox. It's, it's named after the Bible's King Solomon, who yeah. is famously skilled at advising other people, but he couldn't follow his own advice and his (laughs) kingdom crumbled as a result. So what we've learned is that one simple thing people can do when they're stuck with chatter is try coaching themselves through the problem, like they were talking to someone else and actually use your name to do it. So we encourage people to leverage the power of language to shift their perspective. So if I'm really stuck on a problem, I might think, all right, all right, Ethan, how are we going to handle this? Here's what we're going to do. So I'm actually thinking to myself using my own name. And, and the reason that that's effective is because we use names when we think about other people. And so essentially mm-hmm. when we're using our own name, it's almost as though we're, we're tricking ourselves into thinking about ourselves as though we were someone else. And so that's called distant self-talk. And it's something a lot of athletes and people more generally rely on when they're under stress, and it can be helpful. So that's one thing you could do. Another thing is to leverage the power of our close relationships. And so other people are in an ideal position to often help us work through our problems because they've got distance from them. It's not happening to them as we Mm -hmm. just talked about. The tricky thing is though, that getting good chatter support from other people it involves two things. And and I think it requires people to be really deliberate about who they go to for help, because you want to find people who can mm. both empathize with you and show they care, ask you about what you're feeling or what happened. But people who don't stop there, people who additionally try to try to get you to break out of that immersed way of thinking yeah, yeah. Think about alternatives, right? So, mm-hmm. so Caroline, tell me, so how, that was an awful experience. I'm so sorry. You've you've experienced something like that in the past, a terrible podcast interview. How did you deal with it? What you do in that situation, or yeah, you know that's that's one way they might ask you a question to break you out of the immersion, or or exactly. maybe they do something like, you know, that's that's awful. I, I really you have my sympathy. I, I experienced something just like that a few a few months ago, and 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 here's what I did. So that's me offering advice, modeling, yeah. But a lot of exchanges between. Very well-intentioned others don't go that far. They stop at just mm. providing empathy and, and validating the other person. And those are, those are very important qualities, but in and of themselves, they're not sufficient for helping the person work through the experience.
1: Before we continue with today's episode, I want to share with you a little about a company I recently discovered, love, and highly recommend and one my family and I are all loving, Athletic Greens. With so many stresses in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods. This is where Athletic Greens can help. Their daily, all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your health routine today. While avoiding the need to take multiple pills or add complex routines, they simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you one thing with all the best things. One tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. I love adding Athletic Greens to my morning smoothies or acai bowls. My husband Mac loves adding it to some water right before a workout and swears it makes a difference. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during the winter months. They are offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. You'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. So, whether you're looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and get your free year supply of vitamin d and five free travel packs today the link and offer details will be in the show notes as well I wanted to under undergird what you said because you know both things points that you've just made now are so scientific. You've said them in such a beautiful, simple way. You've just delivered them into a way that's like so accessible. But it's it's pure science. What you're saying as well, we see the changes in the brain when you do the distancing. I, I I've done some yeah. research developing a technique that's related to that called the multiple perspective advantage, and you see the changes in the alpha asymmetry, which then gets balanced and, and increases in the frontal lobe and gamma changes, and you you see major changes in blood flow and all kinds all Of things. So we do see a response in the brain when we stand back. I I love that you said that. And I also love that you said something that's so. Important in the I don't know if you picked it up, Ethan. That in the current wellness movement, now there's a tremendous amount of validate, be authentic, listen, and it's so important, as you said. But you said something else profound, and I wanted to emphasize it for the listeners because it's something that I say a lot as well. But you said it so beautifully. You said, Go further, not everyone goes further, they listen, but they don't go further. And you've very clearly said it's maybe ask a question. Use the example of me, Caroline. Have you had a bad podcast experience, and what did you do? So you actually listened and, and you had empathy, but you It one step further by asking a question to prompt the person to think beyond the situation. And then the second tool you offered was also listen with empathy and compassion. But then you you said, oh, I experienced something similar and then you modeled what you did and that's just something that people can then learn from. I'm so glad you said that because I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed in the world that I move in and that there's been a tendency to eliminate those two things. It's just, just listen to people, just listen. And we should just listen. We should, and we need to judge when to come in. But there is nothing wrong with bringing your story in, if it's done, not in, you must do what I did. As long as the person feels heard and validated, I think this is what you're saying as well. Make sure the person feels that you've empathized, that you've heard, that you've validated. And just say, you know, maybe I could offer some advice. This happened to me. So you can probe gently. But I love the fact that you're adding that level of perspective, adding something onto just the listening. So I just wanted to say... Thanks for saying that. Yeah. That's really, well, really, well, great. Like, really great.
0: Every, everything, you know, I, I'm a scientist, so everything I'm talking about is science-based yeah, exactly. with, with, with data behind it. But, you know, to your point, Caroline, about getting stopping at the first step, I, I tell the story, a, a story in the book about how right now in popular culture, and this has been true for a while, there's a very strong intuition that The route to feeling better about things that provoke chatter is to vent our emotions, to find someone to unload how we feel, get it out. And there's been a lot a lot of data on this which show that when you just vent, just talk about your emotions without taking that second step, what that does is it does make us feel more connected to the person we're talking to because, hey, look, there's someone here who cares enough about me to actually stop and listen. That's great. But it doesn't do anything to make you feel better about the problem you're talking about.
1: Thank you. So if, good.
0: If, if it, anything, it just keeps the negative feelings active because you're just rehearsing what happened and what you felt. You're exactly, that exactly. You really do have to go for the to the next step. And as you said, there's a, there's an artistry to this because time is involved. You know, the moment that you have a negative experience, you're rejected or insulted. It may take a few, uh, some time before you're ready to be receptive to that. But that's part of what a good friend advisor can help figure out. So other people can be an incredibly powerful tool for helping us manage chatter. But, and and I want to emphasize, this is an important, but they can also be a vulnerability. And Mm. so that's why when it comes to my own experiences, I am extremely deliberate about who I go to for chatter support, who are my chatter advisors. Mm, so the people good. I go to are some people that I love very much and who love me. I don't talk to them about my problems because it's just going to get them, make them worse. <laughs> there are other folks I go to, and I'm very selective.
1: I love that. So good. Brilliant advice.
0: Yeah. So that's, so that's a second bucket. And there are other, other kinds of tools I talk about in the book yeah. in chatter for for managing our relationships. The the last category of tools is one that I find fascinating. It deals with our physical environment and how making changes in the world around us and how interacting with the world around us in particular ways can influence the conversations we're having in our head with ourselves. And so one way that we can use the environments to our benefit is to create order in our environments. Mm. And so, you know, when I was writing this book and I I, I had the experience of knowing I had to turn a chapter in or or a draft in at a particular time, and I was getting down to the wire and I was stressed, I found myself doing something that for me was quite peculiar. I'd pick myself up off out of my chair, I'd walk into the kitchen, and then I'd do all the dishes. (laughs) And when I was done with the dishes, I'd towel them down and neatly put them away. And then I'd go a step further and I would actually clean our kitchen island. Now, this is peculiar, Caroline, because I'm not a particularly neat individual. (laughs) If you come into my office under a normal circumstance. It looks very tidy now. (laughs) It looks good now, but you you don't see the corner. It's all in the corner. And so there is a mess. Essentially, what what I was doing is I was trying to, when we're experiencing chatter, we often feel like we we don't have control of our thoughts they're controlling us we don't there's not there's not a sense of order in the mind and so what what scientists have shown is that we can compensate for that experience by creating order around us so true and so by ordering our our environment around us in a certain sense that spills over and makes us feel like we have more control which can be really helpful when we're we're dealing with chatter and so that's that's one simple thing simple way of interacting with your physical spaces that could be helpful.
1: I love that And as you're saying it I'm laughing to myself I visualize you Cleaning that island My kids know And my family know That when I start Cleaning our floor We've got this really Nice floor clean And I have these Black and white Beautiful porcelain floors But they show the dirt And whenever that Internal chatter starts Or I'm trying to Work out something Or I'm worked up Or something under pressure Boy I'm in that kitchen And I'm cleaning the floors And everything And in entrance hall And it's true Just bring or Folding the laundry or And I'm working But it's it's, my, it's bringing It's so true When you bring Bring order And I've said it so often To my patients and to my own kids when they're feeling emotionally out of control and also when I used to lecture the same thing to go do something physical you know maybe Mm -hmm. it's go to like this morning I was I had so much internal chatter because I had so many things lined up today and so many things that are projects that are on the roll and okay I have to go to Orange Theory I go to Orange Theory every day but I went earlier I I do too oh good you see there we go so I I went to 88 I was going to go later today and I actually got into an early class okay I'm going to do I normally do fasted workouts but I went Mm -hmm. to did my Orange Theory I went to hot yoga after I jumped in my sauna when I got back and then I started working, but it took those two hours to get that internal chatter under control. So by the time the third hour came, I actually was working in my infrared sauna on Mm -hmm. what I had to work on. So as you say, you can interact with your environment and transfer that energy because energy is never lost. So that internal chatter is generating toxic energy, chaotic mental mess. That's why I Talk about my book, Cleaning of the Mental Mess. And Mm -hmm. by doing something physical, you are doing that. I mean, that's so scientific, but it's so practical. I love it. Can you give us one more example in each of those buckets? Because you're just so filled with wisdom. And I love how you explain things. It's just so simple and brilliant and so relatable.
0: Sure. Let's go back to the beginning. So things you can do on your own. Here's another simple, simple science-based tool for dealing with things like anxiety surrounding the pandemic. There's a tool called, called... Temporal distancing, or you might think about it as mental time travel. Yes, and basically, what you do is you you think about. So, when we're experiencing stress around COVID, we're often thinking, "Oh my god, this is awful. My yeah. kids, my kids are out of school. It's not working out good for them. I'm stuck in the house. We're not traveling. Like we're totally zoomed in on what's bothering us right now. So, how might you zoom out in a way that's effective? Think about how you're going to feel nine months from now, or 12 months from now, or two years from now, when this is over, right? So transport yourself in the future and imagine, like, th- it's very clear. We don't know exactly when it's going to end, but it will end. I haven't seen any forecast Same. which suggests that it is not, right? Yeah. Vaccines are here. So it's a matter exactly. of time. Think about how you're going to feel when, that, when when it ends. Or go back in time. Think about the pandemic of 1918, yeah. which was awful. But guess what? It ended. We endured. It ended. We survived. What those kinds of of mental time traveling does for us is it makes it clear that what we're going through, as awful as it is, it's temporary. It will pass. And when we have that recognition, that gives us hope and makes us Mm. feel better. And so Mm. oftentimes, if I'm feeling a chatter is going about something at work, a paper didn't work out or a difficult exchange... I think to myself, well, how are you going to feel about this two days from now or a week from now? And, and that yeah. does help. So that's another another science-based distancing tool you can use. I
1: love it. I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually wrote about that in my book too. And I actually mm-hmm. talked about it in terms of directed neuroplasticity because when you do it, you are changing. You actually do build another network in your brain. And if you mm-hmm. think and you draw on that previous experience, as you've said, like what you've read about the Spanish flu ending or whatever you, whatever you use to get yourself into the future. So I'm mm-hmm. so glad you brought that up because it is very effective. A lot of people may resist that and say, I just can't. And then I always say, I can't is a you know, you can actually you can choose to stay in this mood now or you can actually try these things and train mm-hmm. and because you, your mind is malleable and your brain's malleable, you can change it. So I'm so glad you brought that up. OK, yeah. so, so that's the, that's this another exercise for self. And now you're going to do one for with people, the people. second bucket. Yeah.
0: So so the second bucket, you could do something called invisible support. And so other people, one thing I think is, science suggests you need to be careful about is sometimes we see people in our lives who we care about who are struggling with chatter, mm. but they don't ask you for help.
1: Mm. And,
0: and when they're struggling and they don't ask, there is a risk of you volunteering help mm. because doing so can make that person feel insecure or inadequate. So I'll give you a concrete example. You know, my oldest daughter is uh, 11 years old. Uh, 10 going on 11 and she's doing her homework. I see her struggling. Well, let me show you how to, let me show you a trick for how to do this. And you know, all I want to do is be the helpful dad, Yeah. but the instant I volunteer that offer of help, there's, you know, uh, an explosion of a a volcanic (laughs) eruption. Did I ask for your help? Why do you think I need your help? I don't need your help. You think (laughs) I'm stupid? You know,
1: (laughs) There's a whole lot of consequences there. A whole lot of
0: consequences. And so I'm I'm sure many other parents or or partners can relate relate to that. And so what what research suggests is if a person comes to you and they want to talk about an experience, engage in the kinds of Mm. validation and broadening that we talked about earlier. But if they're not specifically asking for help, there are still things you can do. You can help them outside of their awareness, what we call invisible support. So, if my wife, if I know she's struggling, she's you know dealing with 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 work and there's kid stuff. I, doing things as simple as taking care of, picking up the groceries and the mm. dry cleaning,
1: mm. right?
0: Making dinner. That's an invisible way of supporting her. She's mm. one thing less that she doesn't have to worry about which reduces her chatter. So, you know, you talked earlier, so but you had, you, had, you had orange theory and infrared and hot yoga. Imagine if, if your day could have been made easier by someone around you invisible sport another thing you could do it happened
1: it happened i actually had that too because one of my i've got four my four kids and they're all in their 20s and two live at home with us and one of them she's she just noticed she saw i wasn't like you know totally focused and just wasn't and she said and she just texted me and said mom what can i do to help you today and that was it it was the most it was just like this immediate relief Relief. you know of yeah Yeah. and it just made me feel different so you that's a that is so true i love your example this as you were saying that made me think of that which made the rest of my orange theory and everything work better. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm jealous that you got our theory and I did not.
1: So, so, you
0: know, I'll I'll go to the other category, but there are lots of other ways that you can help people invisibly and in, in, in chatter in this, in the, in the section of the book that we talk about other people, there's also ways of leveraging your social networks, like your online social networks that can be useful too. And so, so there's a lot of, Material there for folks who are interested—a in lot of science that they can look at. So let me tell you about one more tool. I'll tell you about Lovely. one more environmental tool, which I I, 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 I really find it just it's such interesting science, and it has to do with the experience of awe, seeking out emotional experiences of awe. Mm. So we, we we experience awe when we're in the presence of something vast that we have trouble explaining. So mm. I experience it when I. When I look up at the sky, I can't, I can't do it now in Michigan, which is where I am right now because there's yeah. clouds everywhere. But when it's not cloudy, I look up at the sky at night and I, I think about all the stars in the sky and I have trouble understanding. I can't contemplate how many yeah. planets are there in the universe. Like It's a mind blower to me mm. and I experience awe as a result. Beautiful. Sometimes, sometimes I feel awe when I go for a walk in the woods and I think mm. about these trees that have been here for hundreds of years. Through blizzards and and hurricanes and what Mm. have you. What science shows is that when people experience awe, that has an effect on their chatter. Mm. Because when we're in the presence of something vast and indescribable, that makes us and the concerns that we have feel a whole lot smaller.
1: Love that. Mm. So,
0: you know, take on the one hand, I'm contemplating the size of the universe or a tree that's been here for hundreds of years. And then I'm thinking about how I felt because that person told me they didn't like my paper. You know, it feels a lot smaller. And with That's that, lovely. what they call shrink, shrinking of the self comes emotional relief.
1: Mm, and so, so, you know, another good. thing you,
0: listeners can do is seek out awe-inspiring experiences. And you could do it by going outside and finding whatever your awe triggers are. But you can also do it from your own home. Watching You know, there are experiments, which you could watch movies of of awe-inspiring things and it could have that kind of experience. So that's just one other way of interacting with your environment
1: that can be useful. That's beautiful. You know what really makes my mental health a mess? An uncomfortable, scratchy, expensive bra. Joking aside, when you're uncomfortable, you are more likely to be moody and reactive. That's why I believe comfortable and perfectly fitted bras are essential for optimal mental health. And that's why I love 3rd Love. 3rd Love uses the measurements of millions of women to design bras with all-day comfort and support. Every 3rd Love bra is made with signature memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a scratch-free band for optimal comfort. They stand behind their products. If you don't love it, exchanges and returns are free for 60 days, and their team of expert fit stylists are available via chat or email to answer all of your questions. Third Love knows there's a bra that's perfect for everyone. So right now they are offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash for 20% off today. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. That's beautiful. Those are so practical. And, and, and as you're speaking, people can relate to that because those are things that we all understand, mm-hmm. but don't always leverage to manage something like rumination or internal chatter that's yeah. going on, which is really amazing. So uh, time for one more question. I wanted to actually, where is it here? You speak about the default mode network yeah. a little bit. You make a bit of reference to that. And I've done a lot of work in that area too. And I'm fascinated because I encourage people to take thinker moments, which is those moments where you do access to internal chatter and where you can learn from it. And you said something earlier on which I th- which was sort of an indirect reference to the default mode network and you said something about how it's introspect and when you do mm-hmm. introspect, that is when we do switch off to the external, switch on to the internal, you get a lot of activity mm-hmm. in the default mode network in the brain. But you also said that we need to not just go in the hamster wheel, I'm using I'm paraphrasing, that we need to progress forward. Could we just readdress that a little bit? Can you talk a little bit about the default mode network and how yeah, there is sure. quite a lot of research showing that it's so important that we do allow our minds to wander that mind wandering is actually a very healthy thing but how we've got to make sure that the mind wandering is not this but it's actually forward moving and that's i know that's something you've sort of addressed but i wanted to just take it a little bit deeper
0: sure sure so you know there's a there's a current movement that suggests that we should we should strive to be in the moment yes that was the other
1: question i wanted to relate it to so thank you yeah
0: yeah and being in the moment is great. You know, it's something that I value. I think many people do, and it can have some anxiety fighting qualities and depression fighting qualities. But there is something that I think it's important people know about the human mind, which is it is not designed, we have not evolved to be in the moment all the time. To Thank the contrary,
1: you. I loved it when have you wrote evolved that.
0: Evolved this capacity mm. to float away to not be in the moment, to be in our minds, to think about the future, to think Mm. about the past. We spend between a half to a third Mm. of our waking hours not in the moment, instead lost in thought. And this is not a bad thing. Exactly. This is one of the key elements that make human beings unique, that distinguish us from other species. The ability to float away, to get Mm. lost in thought this is what allows us to innovate to 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 create to problem solve it's an incredible tool however when we float away and instead get stuck ruminating worrying catastrophizing experiencing chatter then that tool no longer works for us now it's starting to work against us and so this really gets at the essence of what chatter the book is about which is we have this tool How do we make it work for us rather than against us? By way of analogy, think of a hammer. A Mm. hammer is an amazing tool. We use it to build homes and and, and buildings, right? Amazing. But we can also use a hammer to destroy things. Mm. It's a tool. Tools are only good if we're using them in particular ways, in particular contexts. Likewise, the ability to self reflect, to introspect, I think of it as a tool. It's a remarkably powerful tool if we wield it properly. And and that's what a lot of the book is about.
1: I love it. I, I'm so glad. That's why I wanted to bring. I, yeah, I really wanted I'm to hone in I, and then sort of round off with that question because it's vital. And you're the first person in a long time. And I've been saying this for so long, and I feel so justified in what you've just said because I've been saying for so long we can't. This whole huge emphasis on meditation, which is fine, and the now is fine, but being the answer to stress management is crazy because it's it's totally decontextualized a concept out of Eastern philosophy. It's taken one little element, and d- we've done what we do in Western sciences. We've reduced. We've taken one thing and. Reduced juiced it down we become reductionistic in our approach to dealing with the now moment and we said that's the answer but it's not it's only part of the answer yeah and if, i completely and if, agree yeah it's, and one,
0: if, it's, it's it's one tool it's Meditation one tool is one kind of tool but, exactly and but when it's
1: used incorrectly sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead but you know
0: i i i love it i mean you you continue because you were going to say exactly what i was going to say
1: <laughs> well we can you can you can correct me or to add to this but basically i was going to say that when we when we just focus on the now and you just create a and I showed this in my most recent clinical trials that it actually boomerangs back on you if you're aware and you just think okay I'm aware now this is my problem this is my emotion this is my situation and it's what you said earlier on as well you just it just event to the emotions even if it's in the now moment and there's different ways you can one, one now moment is talking about how I'm feeling now and just getting over and over the other one is non-judgmental this is how I'm feeling which is very popular but if you just do that and you don't move forward and progress and process that and reconceptualize it it actually then become self-destructive and you talk about mm-hmm. that in your book and I showed that in my clinical trials and I talk about that in my book as well from a diff- slightly different angle and we saw with our clinic our, our control group we increased their awareness but they didn't have anywhere where any mind management to progress forward and they their brains were self-destructive I mean they were going to such high levels of anxiety that at the end of the study we had to get them into mind management ASAP I mean the inflammation mm-hmm. levels were going crazy they, even their telomeres were shortening so significantly in nine weeks that their biological mm-hmm. and chronological ages was separating by almost sometimes three decades you know so I, I just wanted to emphasize that that I, I wanted to thank you for emphasizing that in your book because we've got so caught up in trends that we're thinking everyone is saying meditate now don't judge and then they don't say what next and the, and you'll know as a scientist and at, uh, in and a lecture professor that there's so much research showing how dangerous that is how meditation alone is not sufficient that it mm-hmm. actually causes a lot more negativity in people's emotions and that kind of thing so I just wanted to say that because you talk about that and it really excited me that you've emphasized that
0: yeah well well let, let me say you know so so we talked about six tools maybe third meditation there's that's another there you know there are a dozen more in in the book but the the way i end the book and i think this is a point to emphasize is i talk about a toolbox approach to thinking about how to manage the mind and manage chatter different tools work for different people in different situations. Mm. I think the challenge we face both in the science and in life yeah. is to figure out what are the combinations of tools that work best for different mm. people in different situations. Exactly. Right. And so that, that, that I good. think is, is, so it's not one magic. No, it's field. not a
1: cookie. No, it's not cookie, it's not cutter. A cookie cutter either. No. There are many like infinite combinations.
0: Exactly. And so yeah. I think that there's, there's a lot of, scientific and self-exploration to be had around this topic and I think yeah. it's important to do it. I
1: think this is the next area in science in my opinion. We've got to stop saying as I said started this conversation by saying that mind, we've got to stop saying mind is the hard question and we've got to start embracing what mind is and moving forward with the kind of research that you're doing and that I believe both of us are doing. So I want to do thank you Dr. Ethan Cross. What a great discussion I feel like we could talk yeah. all day about this stuff. It's I so,
0: totally agree. It's
1: so interesting and, and I hope if we can collaborate or connect again or come on my podcast again and thank you so much for your time where can people get hold of your book
0: they can get a hold of the book wherever books are sold and if they want to learn more about the book or res- me or research in my lab they can go to my website it's www.ethancross.com cross with dot com.
1: got it wonderful we'll put that in the show notes thank you so much for joining us today
0: yeah this was so much fun thanks it for was having so much
1: me. fun my pleasure